Welcome to Ride the Omnibus. I'm your host, Ariel Vasca, and I am joined today by the director and writer of For Roger, Aaron Bartuska, who is here to talk about his new film, which is currently playing at Grimfest. So hello. Hello. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I'm really fascinated to talk to you about this film. I wonder if you could quickly describe it for our audiences, because I have a really hard time summing this one up, I'm afraid. I have a really hard time summing it up, too. <laughs> uh, so so I'll give it my shot, though. Basically, uh, For Roger is about our lead character, Roger, going to his old vacation home while he's grieving the loss of his girlfriend. And basically, he used to vacation with her there all the time, and they would like record home videos and all this stuff. So he goes there to kind of just try to be alone, sort things out, and starts watching through their home videos to kind of reminisce. Um, and as he's doing that, he realizes a few things about the relationship he might not have remembered, and also realizes that someone has been watching them from the woods. Nice, nice. So my my whole thing with this film was that it took me by surprise how much was in the third act of this film. So our listeners know, I'm probably going to delve into some spoiler heavy content here toward the end of the conversation. But for the upfront portion, you will hear lots of goodness about why you should see this film. But then you can pause it when you get to the 20 minute mark or so, because I want to delve deep into spoilers. So that being said, what exactly was it that informed your desire to make this film? Where did the idea come from? Gotcha. Well, uh, th there were a bunch of things that made me want to do this. The first one was I needed to make a senior project for college. Uh, so this was actually my, my senior project, my final thesis for film school. And uh, I knew I wanted to make a feature. You know, I was like, uh, I have a bunch of friends that are game, you know, I have access to equipment, like if there's a time to make like my first big feature, it's now. Um, and then the second thing was I found that cabin <laughs> uh, through a close friend. I, the, the moment I stepped foot in there, I was like, oh my God, we, we got to film a, a horror movie here. It, it barely set decked any of it. Like the, it came how it looks in the film for the most part. And I, I just knew that we had to, we had to, uh, film a horror movie there so that's where that's when i was like okay i can realistically make a horror movie i just have to come up with an idea now so i guess at the time you know i had a lot on my mind uh just thinking about like i, I was in my first serious relationship so i was thinking about just uh you know how, how relationships work communication and the lack of it and how that can affect a relationship in the long run and also uh, at that time i was sort of still grieving the loss of a close friend and so I was thinking about the loneliness and isolation of the grieving process and um, everything that comes along with that. And I tried to turn it all into a found footage slasher horror movie. <laughs> yeah. I love that James came with the place too. I think yeah. that's wonderful. Yeah, that's James wonderful. was our favorite. He was our favorite. <laughs> nice, nice. But it is really effective, especially in the time of COVID-19 to have such a reflective piece of horror that both looks at isolation, but then also the voyeur from the outside looking in on the isolation inside, as well as the voyeur inside examining themselves at the same time. I feel like that parallel works really well within the film. And so Thank you. in terms of looking at 
other kinds of horror that specifically looks at looking. What what were the ones that were the biggest inspiration for you? Right. Well, in terms of the voyeurism, you know, Halloween's a big influence. I always love those POV shots and and just like how you can feel the presence of Michael Myers in every frame, even when he isn't there. But also, obviously, the film was inspired by a lot of found footage films. But a lot of the time when I was watching those, I, I, I always find myself wondering, like, okay, who compiled this? There's one that does it really well, Creep, where you kind of mm-hmm. realize by the end that it was the killer, Mark Duplass, like compiling it all along. And that kind of works because it explained itself by the end of the film. But for certain ones, like, uh, I don't know, I mean, Blair Witch, I guess, like, and Paranormal Activity, like, I guess, like, the police departments put it together, but like, why, you know, and just like, and why, why are they like, is there a police officer like being like, oh, this scene has good character development, like, I'm gonna put this into whoever's watching this. I was really curious if you know how to explain like okay can we do a found footage horror movie where there's purpose behind why this we're seeing this found footage uh and there's an overarching narrative that is doing its own thing while also making the found footage aspects warranted or feel earned Hmm. Yeah. yeah i will say that that's an interesting point that you bring up about found footage in general and i felt that in your film it's very much earned but sort of marrying the aesthetics of found footage with the aesthetics of halloween i felt was a really interesting thing that you play with there but then i also really enjoyed how unremittingly creepy your figure in the woods happens to be and coming up with the look for that how difficult was that so i don't know if you can see he's, he's peeking right, right yeah. There. <laughs> nice. uh yeah that's the only mask we had so shooting this film was very nerve-wracking every time we would go for a take but um coming up with the look so gwen cutler was a co-writer and the editor and also art department so she had a, a bunch of uh, she contributed to this film so much uh, and I kind of put her in charge of, hey, we need a creepy mask. And I know you love making creepy things. Uh, so let's just brainstorm this and see what we can come up with. You know, I, again, I love Halloween. I know what they did with the Shatner mask, you know. So I was like, okay, let's buy a couple masks. Let's see how we can mess them up a little, like riff with them. And so I got like probably four or five different masks and we like cut them up and affected them. And I think this one was like a some weird, like, I don't even know, like a baby mask or something. And we just like (laughs) took it and like dyed it, like rubbed it in dirt, sewed the mouth shut, uh, cut the eye holes a little wider. And Gwen actually (laughs) took her hairbrush and like glued some of the hair to the top of the mask, like whatever we could think of, like, like Gwen did it. And I don't know why I'm talking about it. Like I was a part of this. She did it and then just sent me pictures. And I was like, yeah, keep going in that direction. And I guess in talking about it, I wanted it to be something that like from a distance, you're staring at it and it like, it looks like a face. It looks like it could be like just any other person, but as it gets closer, you're like, oh no, there's something really, really weird about this, really uncanny. And yeah, it, it was, it was the first one she did. And uh, we, we liked it enough to where we were just like, yeah, we're going to roll with this. We did a couple screen tests and it was really really freaky so yeah. i mean it it really is quite startling i think i even audibly gasped when i first watched the film that makes and, me so uh, happy thank you <laughs> <laughs> 
I think my husband was like, what? what? <laughs> it was really a, a deliciously creepy scare, I would say. Thank you. But I also wonder in terms of looking at where your interests lie in horror, what were some of the ways that you were trying to kind of explore different ideas that may not have made it into the final script or the final cut? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, when I was making this again, I, I knew like this was my best shot at making a feature. Uh, I, I grew up making short horror films and then kind of got away from it. And I wanted to return to my roots. And I really just wanted to throw everything at the wall and see what stuck. Like I wanted to combine. I love found footage. I love slashers. Put that in there. Uh, I really love that early, like, well, going back even further, I'm a big Cassavetes fan. And then I love like the mid 2000s mumblecore movement that came out of that, you know, and just those really talky, naturalistic DIY conversational pieces, I think are very interesting. And there's a lot to chew on with like the slice of life stuff. I also was, I, I was obsessed with uh, Gus Van Sant's last days mm-hmm. at the time. And, and that really uh, slowed the film down a little. I think, I don't think this film would have had nearly as many long takes if I wasn't watching that film every week. But yeah, it was really just a matter of me, you know, knowing I had a good support system and knowing this was the one definite shot I had to make every type of movie I wanted to make like right then mm-hmm. and, and try to see if they all blended together in a way that works. And I think it does work. I think it came out to be uh, something very uh, unconventional, but, but interesting. I think you're left with a bit of a weird feeling at the end and, and it's only upon uh, you know, thinking about it, sitting with it for a little while that you realize like where that weird feeling is coming from. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I, it's taken me a long time to become happy with it, but like watching it, like on a screen at the world premiere, like surrounded by family and friends, I was like, okay, we made something here. This is, this is good. You did. You did. Thank you. And it, it's great. And one, one of the other things that seems to come through in it for me, at least is this, idea. I mean, I I know everybody says toxic masculinity all the time, but the whole idea of how you explore the gender relationships within the film too, how how did you decide how those were going to be shaped within the narrative? Right. Well, so when talking with Gwen, uh, the co-writer and Derek, um, but mainly Gwen, because uh, I wanted to Uh, take a lot of what she said and put it into Clara's character just because, you know, there's only so much I can bring to that character. And she she brought so much more with, you know, her personal life experiences and stuff. And I just really wanted to create two characters that like neither of them are necessarily, you know, I, I wanted them to be both relatable, even if some of like one of them is acting horribly in some spots. Like I wanted it to all be based around miscommunication and just like misreadings and every time Clara's trying to speak her mind Roger thinks he's fixing her problems but like maybe she doesn't want to fix to the problem she just wants someone to listen to her you know and he he quiets her down so many times that eventually she just stops trying and I think that grows evident throughout the tapes as they go on and yeah, I just really wanted to explore that. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's just like, I, there's so much, there's so much unsaid in relationships that I feel like we really wanted to capture and convey. And I think Mikey and Jenna did a great job at doing that because those tapes were completely 
improvised we had outlines but like we would kind of just be like okay let's roll on it a couple times do it different ways and then we'll talk in between uh, and make sure we hit everything that we wanted to hit they they really they really had some key moments there that you're kind of just like oh roger shut up man like listen to her and then sometimes you're kind of like clara come on speak up like we you know it's just i wanted there to be that like oh, these two just aren't right for each other. And why are they sticking together? You know, that sort of feeling. So what was that like to improvise those scenes? How was it to direct something that was so much on the fly the whole time? Uh, It was interesting. That's that was honestly, that's the part I was the most comfortable with because that's how I like making short films and stuff. Like I like to come up with an idea and just like get my friends together and we just run and gun it. Like we just like go make it, edit it the same day. Like, that comes naturally to me. I think the, the, the actual narrative part of it was what really like broke me down a little bit, but yeah, I, I find improv to be so fun. So it's so fun just working with actors and like coming up with the dialogue as we're doing it. We had one rehearsal weekend that I think was very beneficial. And then like, we would do like three takes of each scene and just like change little things or like, you know, Jenna would pick up on a small thing that Mikey did and she'd be like, Hey, lean into this. I can play off of it. And then the same with him. And, you know, I think it was really just a fun team effort. I think everyone else on set didn't really know what to do. <laughs> they were kind of <laughs> just like, okay, you guys are like playing around with the camera, but like what we're just standing here. <laughs> but then they all had a lot more to do with the October shoots. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was, it was laid back. It was, they might tell you otherwise. I don't know. I'm sure the pressure on actors to improvise is is not the most desirable thing. But Mikey and Jenna and I all went to high school together. You know, we know that we can work with each other. We have a good working relationship. And and I thought those scenes were were pretty fun to film. That's very cool. And and I have to ask also, when it came to directing people who are friends of yours. I mean, how much conflict was there on set? I'm just curious. <laughs> um, with me and Jenna, none. <laughs> okay. uh, Jenna, Jenna and I, uh, it, it, it was the first time we were really working together uh, a lot. Uh, it, like, like, like that, like close knit together. And, and we're really good friends, but like, we don't spend every waking moment with each other. Like Mikey's my roommate now. Uh, so we are a lot more comfortable um getting mad at each other uh and there you know it, there were a couple times where where mikey would be like hey what do you want me to say here and i would be like i don't know what do you feel like you should say and he would be like no no just tell me what to say and, and i'll say it and i was like i don't know man i just want you to like do one where i don't tell you what to say and then we'll see what comes out and then we'll work from there and you know it was just like i would be equally irking him and i kind of knew i was getting under his skin but like you know it all it all lent itself to being on set way too long and just knowing each other way too well and having done a film yeah. together before. But it was all in, in good spirit, you know. I, obviously, we're still living together. We still hang out every day. So. I mean, that's that says a lot right there that he hasn't there moved were, out yet. So clearly, that, you were not exactly. like Kubrick level, you know. Oh no, no, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think like I. I really am a big um, a big believer that no film is worth tormenting anyone or like making anyone have an uncomfortable or bad experience i think like if you're doing that at that point like what's the like what's the point of what you're making you know like even if even if it's the most emotional amazing thing ever like if someone was 
I don't know. Then that was a big thing too on set. Like my main goal was that everyone was having fun on set. And then if we made a good film out of it, like awesome, sweet. But I wanted it to kind of be like summer camp. Like we all slept at that cabin and we all like, you know, after we would rap. Oh no, you froze. Aaron. Um, Unfortunately, you froze for a second there, but. Oh, um, oh. I was just talking about the after parties that we would have at the cabin. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no. So, so Mikey and I, you know, uh, still good friends. We're still going to continue to work together. Uh, there, there was one moment in particular where we both just had to go for a walk in opposite parts of the woods for like five minutes <laughs> and then just like wow. reconvene and then we got the shot and it was a great take and then everything was fine. And we were both kind of like, okay, that was ridiculous. Let's not do that again. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. If you, if you can manage to keep your friendships intact, I think that's really important. So. Definitely. That's, that's, that's paramount. So, so what do you feel like is next for you after this film? Uh, right now I've been producing like a lot of short films that my friends are making. Uh, I really like the idea of if someone that I know and trust and like their work. Like if they're like, I have this cool idea, uh, I can either, you know, if I'm not available, give them some money to make it. Or if I am available, you know, I can AD it or help out or however I can kind of taking less of a directorial route and just like doing that, um, trying to build up a body of work in like my friend group. But me personally, I, I really want to make a Christmas horror short film. I think that's next. I'm actually going to, uh, I think I'm going to, I'm writing it this week. I have some good ideas. Finally, I've been talking about it, but I finally have some ideas under my belt that I think will come together into something cool. And so I'm hoping to shoot that this November. And then after that, I'd love to make another feature around like spring of next year. I don't think it'll be horror, but it'll be another like talky conversational, just like meditation on, on death. I'm thinking uh, that's at least what I'm writing down now. Who knows what it'll turn into? Cause this film started out as a completely different thing and eventually it became what it was. So, you know, we'll see what the next thing turns into. You never really know what's going to happen when, you know, not until it plays on screen in front of your friends and family. <laughs> it's very true. Like, That's what it is that now that it's done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, this is quite a thing to be proud of that you've shared with your friends and family and now the rest of the world. And Thank you. So congratulations, and I wish you every success with the rest of its festival run and in your future projects. And Thank you very much. Please let me know if you would ever like to come back to I would love the Omnibus. To come back. I would love to come back. We would love to have you back. Cool. But uh, Did you want to get into spoilers? I do actually want to get into spoilers. Some filmmakers are very hesitant about getting into the spoiler if you have questions i'm down to i'm down to keep chatting well I, one of my biggest questions is actually the relationship between the man in the woods to claire's death mm -hmm. exactly you don't really ever lay out too much but i feel like there are clues i was missing on some level right uh that that's fair that's fair yeah i think that we went into it uh specifically knowing what we wanted Claire's death to be and then kind of got away from that as we went on so we wanted to leave it more up to interpretation at this point but what I will say is that neither Roger nor the man outside contributed directly to her death it was just kind of like an isolated incident and then everything at the cabin is Roger's grieving process and also just like 
realizing that that he could have been better to someone who's no longer in his life because i feel like that's something that i was also dealing with in terms of like someone i was close to had passed and like just knowing that like like okay my relationship with that person is over now like did i spend my time with them as well as i could have you know i I think it's a scary thing to like look back on and and think about and the film takes it to like borderline toxic and not okay levels uh, in in some scenarios. But uh, I think that's something that everyone can relate to a little bit. Just like, just like wondering, like uh, just how, how you could have spent that time better. You know, it's, it's very permanent. It's a very permanent thing. And um, that's what I was trying to grapple with. I didn't really want to make any comments directly on, you know, like any mental health issues or any, any direct cause of death. And I do think that's a little bit of a whole, uh, first time filmmaker, (laughs) but, uh, but I think it's better than uh, having tried to go into territory that I wasn't fully equipped to, to, uh, navigate. Yeah. And it's interesting because a lot of people tend to explore the big themes, like so suddenly and so quickly that you don't really see what's there anymore. Whereas I, I feel like you do keep the focus what you want it to be by not exploring those things in the middle. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to take away from the, the isolated horror of, of one man's grieving process. That, that, yeah. was, that was the main goal. This, this could all be a metaphor for just like what was happening in my head in certain times of my life. <laughs> Yeah. Not that Roger. I hope no one's a Roger by by choice. But well, isn't that what every first film is supposed to be? Though it's like secretly whatever the metaphor is inside your own head at all. Yeah, time. exactly. I'm 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 Roger, and I'm the man outside, and I'm Clara. I'm all of them. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't shock me somehow. It's what every filmmaker does, whether you mean to do that, whether you set out to do that or not. Well, also spending spending three years on something, you're def- like it's, it's kind of inevitable that that's going to happen. Like that's a, a long time to sit with a project and not have like parts of yourself just like come out in it. Uh, that's really interesting to me. And then, in terms of the man on the outside, I just wonder for you, what did that represent? Well, I think that the man on the outside, it, he he's a couple of things. Uh, at the time that I wrote this, I was very just like caught up in this idea that I was freaking myself out a little because things would happen in my life and I would get excited about them. And I would be like, oh my God, I have to film this. Or I want to make this into a film. This is so cool that this is happening to us right now. I got to make a film about this. And like, that was weird to me because like, why don't I, why can't I just enjoy the thing that's going on right now? I guess that's more of a Roger comparison because he's trying to like sort of make this vacation appear perfect and not even really worrying about the actual, like how the person he's with is feeling. So I guess that's more of a Roger comparison if I really think about it, but also what the man outside represented is, is more so just if, if we're breaking it down to like completely metaphorical, he's, he's basically like a conscious, a conscience. He he could be like the Jiminy cricket, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, this movie in a, in a weird twisted sort of way. Where, you know, you start off thinking he's kind of like malevolent and you kind of just want to like keep him, keep him out. And then eventually you start to realize, oh, this guy kind of has a point and he's not so much trying to hurt Roger as he is trying to make him see what he did wrong. So I think very much so when I'm dealing with 
things that I may have done wrong, my gut, my gut reaction is to be like, no, no. What do you, what do you mean? Like I, I was, I'm me. I didn't do anything wrong. And then eventually when you sit with it and when you're forced to confront it, your conscience kind of gets the better of you and again, explains to you, you know, no, yeah, you, you could have been better in this scenario and you kind of lose that initial defensiveness and kind of come to terms with how you could have been better. And I, I thought that was a cool idea, kind of taking the archetype of a, of a classic horror villain and kind mm-hmm. of just making them almost like uh, an almost completely metaphorical thing. Because if you really step away from the film and look at it, like this could all be in Roger's head, you know? Yeah. And I, and I wondered if we were meant to take it that way. I want people to take it however they want to take it. I only realized that probably on like my 90th viewing <laughs> in the pandemic when I was like, oh, okay, this is like, you know, that wasn't the intention. The intention was to make a straightforward horror movie. But I think, again, these things sort of take on a life of their own. And I think in a lot of ways that works better than what we set out to make, because like, if you take everything at face value, you're, you're, you're going to start thinking like, why is this guy like, what happened to this guy that he's just in the woods, you know, and like, just like obsessed with this couple, which I think could be a cool route. But, you know, I, I think people should take it however they want to take it and, and get what they want out of it. And I'll always have my reading of it, but it's not mine anymore. It's, it's, it's out there. People can do with it yep. as they please. And whatever your authorial intent is, that has nothing to do with audience reception whatsoever. So. Yep. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. This has been a real delight. And thank you. Thank you so much for this film, which is so wonderful. And I wish you every success. Thank you. That means forward. so much. Thanks for, thanks for taking the time to talk about it. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. You too. Thank you for listening, and thank you for taking a moment right now to reflect with me on the history of the land you are listening on now. Whether you are stuck in traffic or sitting in your office chair, take the time to look up whose traditional lands you are on now and what treaties govern those territories. I record this podcast on the site of lands stolen from the Manahoac people. I am grateful to work on this land and I acknowledge that we need to protect and honor the history of the indigenous people from other tribal nations that have made innumerable contributions around the world. I share this in the hope that my listeners may join me in honoring our past, present, and future. Without this land, this earth, and each other, we are nothing. Before I go, please take 30 seconds now to leave us a five-star review by clicking on support the show in the show notes. We don't want your money. We want your words. A simple RTO rocks my socks expands our reach and helps us keep bringing you great content and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, where we are at omnibus ride. You can also visit our website, omnibusride.com, where you can go to dive deeper into our content and learn more about the show. A special thank you to our amazing editor, William Das. We truly couldn't do what we do without him or Danielle. Be well, be safe, and keep in touch.